Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the Sustainable E-Commerce Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build your brand for a healthier planet. As always, I'm your host, Giles Smith, and this week is our third episode in our mini-series on rethinking waste. And this week, we look at an absolutely emerging technology in relation to chemical recycling of textiles. Chemical recycling per se isn't new. There are a few amazing companies overseas like RenewCell that can take cellulosic textiles and recycle those back into new yarn. But until now, there's never been a solution for blends. So enter my guest this week. Adrian Jones is the co-founder of Queensland-based chemical recycling company Blocktex. Despite being what I think you would still call a startup, they've already proved that they can handle about 85% of the typical textile fibre types here in Australia, and they're planning to handle about 4,000 tonnes of textiles in 2023. They have developed as well an incredibly exciting technology that I do think we'll see becoming more and more important part of the textile recycling supply chain in the years to come. So with that, let's start the show. Adrian Jones, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, I am, as always, I always start this with everybody saying I'm very excited you're here, but I am very excited that you're here because I think what we're going to be covering today is a topic that's quite unusual, but also incredibly powerful and important to anybody in the space, uh, especially in the sustainable space that works with textiles. Uh, so I am very excited to be um, sort of unpicking, if that's not too much of, a, of an obvious tautology, unpicking what it is that you guys do. So Adrian, before we get into all the sort of technical nitty gritty about about the service that you provide perhaps you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started with block techs look i've spent all my life working life in in textiles in retail so i started out in the uk a million years ago with marks and spencers i was in buying i was in stores um worked for brands such as arcadia group uh at next for six years um wh smith's all, always in buying pd that kind of area um came to australia about 16 17 years ago worked for Maya, ran uh red group which was obviously borders and um, angus and robertson then um for a while and then um ceo at apg and co and finished my sort of i suppose corporate career at uh, the ceo of charles parsons um the reason why I sort of started Blocktex with my business partner, Graham Ross, was we were both, he came through, he came to textiles late, I came to textiles very early. And I was, I was increasingly disappointed by, um, it's kind of a, it's a vicious cycle in which, you know, we, we, we're buying more than we're going to sell because we know we're not going to sell at the first margin or the first price. So we just have to keep buying more volume to just to, to, to sell at a lower price to get back to the budget that we agreed we were told to do by the board and blah, blah, blah. And all the time, this business population, this business um, uh, cycles going on, but we're kind of missing the fact that all these textiles are being purchased at very low prices. I go to go to waste or put into landfill or put into the red top bin and they actually have an inherent value. They're not, they're not waste. They're not rubbish. We don't refer to them as waste in our, in our, in our, in our business. They're, they're a resource. 
that can be converted from one form to another, having a strong environmental benefit, but also having a strong economic model. And so this fascinated Graham and I, he comes from a TV and media background and with his sort of TV um, producers head on, we sort of started off on this, uh, on this, on this journey of block text. And here we are yeah, five years later. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I, I love the way that you immediately reposition this stuff as, uh, as not waste. Uh, I think that's brilliant. And it obviously ends up, it feeds directly into what your whole business model is about, which is, which is perfect. But, but I mean, obviously the traditional model, and I don't want to go spend too much time talking about it, but the, the, the traditional business model of textiles does end up with all this excess stuff and people, I guess, in principle, don't know what to do with it. So it ends up in landfill. So why is it that it's taken, do you think, in principle, so long for someone like yourselves to come up with a genius solution to that problem? I think that there's a few there's a few dynamics in that equation. The first is that I think we have a very uh, weird relationship with our clothes in the sense that over a long period of time through campaigns, through education, people understand that littering or, uh, is bad. Hmm. So a plastic bottle, a... Um, uh, you know, all of that is seen as you know, that. That if you drop that on the floor, you're a litter bug. That's terrible. You, you know, you leave it on all our beautiful, pristine Australian beaches. You're a complete grub. So you've got to put your plastic bottle, your drink bottle, or your tin, or your whatever. Here's the right container for that. And so people put it into the right container. Put it in the yellow top bin, or they put it into a container deposit scheme because they know what to do with it, and they know that they sort of have that sort of like. This is the turtle eating the plastic bag, plastic mm. bags, do something good with it. They don't really know what happens to it, but they're just not putting it into a bin. It's better than, than not. But with textiles, you know, hey, this is my favorite shirt. I met my girlfriend in this. I, so I, I, I go drinking with my mates. This is, this is my footy shirt. I go out and play footy in this. So we kind of have a sort of much more affectionate relationship with our clothes. And therefore, we don't know what to do with them at the end of their life, but we don't believe they're going to do any harm. But if you think about it, chemically, a Coke bottle or a Fanta bottle is exactly the same as a footy shirt, as a budgie smuggler's. It, it's polyester, it's PET, different form, different, but chemically, it's the same. So you wouldn't leave your drink bottle on a beach. But if you were to leave your microfiber towel on the beach, you somehow it, would be, it wouldn't be as bad, even though it is as bad. And I don't think people know what to do with their clothes. And so they... They take the route we've always taken in Australia, which is, I think, the easy way out. And I understand why people do it or have done it. But I think as businesses like BlockTechs have evolved, I think there's now an alternative. So historically, we've just assuaged our conscience of overconsumption by putting it all into a box and giving it to a charity shop mm. and hoping that something good happens. Yeah. But charity shops only sell between, let's say, 15 and 20% of their donations, either because they have too many or because those donations aren't of a merchandisable quality. Mm. And then they either export that. I don't see that. I don't see the either. Well, we know where that goes. Yeah. And I don't see the strong economics of that. I don't see the, also, I don't see the social equity in that either. Or they get, or they put it into landfill, but unlike the rest of us, charities get refunds from local council. So it's, so if I put, say, something to the tip, I have to pay for it, rightly so, because there's a landfill cost. But charities put stuff into tips and local governments give them their money back. But people don't know any of this and they don't know what to do with their clothes. So they take their clothes to the op shop and think, that's it. I've done the right thing. But there's a whole journey of those textiles beyond that. Yeah. that people don't 
don't don't think about yeah i i think you're exactly right uh so you've examined there i think the consumer end of why we why we're here what about the brand end like why is it taking so long for brands to recognize that the the massive amount of stuff they're overproducing why are they not um thinking about the how they can bring that back in as as a as a raw material instead of as a waste material or the or the stuff that happens at the end of consumer life why why is it taking so long for brands do you think to find a solution to what to do with it as a from a complete materials product stewardship point of view Mm. Now, therein lies a loaded question, because as an ex-retailer of many years standing, I have a probably a very honest view of this, but it isn't a view that the industry really always wants to talk about. Mm. Um, I'll start with the positive side. I think that until companies like Blocktex or one or, two other, one or two others of us in the world who are dealing with, particularly with the, the very tricky problem of, of blended fibres, mm. um, there could have been the uh, uh, the excuse to say there isn't a solution that can deal with these blended fibers so um donation or landfill is the only outcome mm. okay um but i also think you have to look at this through a, an economic lens the business of retail is to sell as much stuff as you can you're primarily mm. about your, your your primary focus is to be pro is to, is to be concerned about how much stuff flows out of the front door mm. not really how much flows back in because as we see, we know in the e-commerce world, returns are dreadfully expensive in terms mm. of the reprocessing, what to do with them. And so the economics of, of retail are primarily about selling as much stuff as you can to the consumer and really hoping that they keep it. Yes. Because once it comes back, it's your problem again. And that wasn't kind of my model. Um, but I think what's happened in the meantime is that consumers have started to see through the activities of other sectors, whether that's the aluminium drink sector, the paint sector, the plastic bottle sector, they're seeing that that other brands that they use, the Coca-Colas, the Danones, the PepsiCo's of this world, the Dulux paints, the Duracell batteries, are all saying, well, we understand that our product at the end of its life causes harm. So we are going to, and it's branded, so it's pretty obvious mm. that it's ours. Yeah, um, yeah. So we're going to have to do something about it. So they've started to build return schemes, and those return schemes have, not always, but have been used to then fund uh, recycling schemes. And I think that the, the, the textile industry is incredibly weak at how much it spends on R&D. Think about pharmaceuticals. Pharma spends about you know, 35 to 40% of its, of, of its revenue on R&D. Mm. Uh, in, in retail, it's less than 2%. And so they kind of wait for somebody else to do it. And I yeah. just think that now there's a, a, a technologies are becoming more uh, mainstream, are becoming more volumetric. And therefore, I think that brands will increasingly, I think three things, A, they'll have no excuse, B, their consumers want them to do it, and B, there's a technology available for them. So increasingly, yeah. the, the barriers that stop people doing things are being lowered, are being taken away. And therefore, as we're certainly seeing in our, in our, in our trade, in our business, there are certain really forward-thinking enlightened brands that are working with us now, mm. even though they know it's early. And there's certain brands who are just waiting to be free riders and waiting till they're either told to do it by law through a product stewardship scheme yep. or um, their consumer forces them to. And that's just human behavior. Um, yeah. Some people want to go first. Some people want to go last. That's where it is. Well, I, and I think I think you're, you're, you've hit the 
uh, nail on the head there really really nicely and um you know for anyone that hasn't listened to the the very first show of this year where i was talking about how important i think take back schemes are going to become for particularly for apparel retailers uh in the next year year and a half 18 months uh, go and listen to that because i was talking about that then but what i'd love to do because i think we've set the scene quite well for this now tell us about block text and what you guys actually do because it is absolutely brilliant um thank you Okay, Blocktex is a um, a chemical recycler. So we've worked on how to take the resources that are presented to us, um, the textile resources that that, that we uh, collect from a variety of clients, and we deal with probably about eighty five percent of the textile types. So we to answer one of your very first questions, I think this is where um, we deal with uh, uh, polyester and cotton blends. So that's that's a really hard thing to solve, and we deal with that. So we like polyester cotton blends. So if it's a 70-30 bed sheet or it's a 50-50 T-shirt, we love that. So we deal with polyester cotton blends. We can deal with pure polyester. We can deal with pure cotton, or we can deal with any man-made cellulosic, so viscoses, rayons, lyocells, tensels, linens, jutes, hemp's, all that weird wow. group. And so that 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 accounts for about eighty five percent of the fiber types that are out there. Now, historically, there's great companies in the world like Renewcell, Evernew, and they deal primarily with cellulosics. So they mm. like to get cotton denim, sorry, beg your pardon, cotton t-shirts, denim jeans, and then they will convert that through a process called wet spinning back into recycled cotton, if you will. But they can't deal with blends, mm. so that precludes them from a whole part of the textile that are available. So we would say that for any um, any sort of, if we would have a, any sort of, if for one ton of mixed textiles would be presented to us, we can probably deal with about 80 to 85% of that. Right. Uh, and also colors don't matter, quality doesn't matter. So if it's torn or it's ripped or it's got a food stain on there, doesn't matter. But what we actually do, and it's an interesting process, and I won't get too technical, but I'll just try and describe it end to end. We collect a whole load of garments from a whole load of sources. Those could be uniform suppliers, they could be hotels, they could be hospitals, they could be retailers. And then we look at those garments and we test them. And we test them so we have a special little um, infrared scanners and we can test them so we can tell exactly what the fiber type is. So we know exactly what it is before we start. And then we collect that from them. We have a national carrier that we collect from them. And then it all gets comes into us and we um, then work out how to decommission it. So by that, we have to work out how we take off the buttons and the zips and all of that, because those are often metal or different types of plastic. Um, and so I'll come back to um, how we're designing for the end of life in, in a second. But so we work across a, a range of disability uh, service providers, so people like the Health Foundation, uh, Multicap, and we've got tens of people now engaged with us, working with us, and we pay them um, to take the buttons off and take, and take the zips off. That generates a lot of em, em, employment as well. And then those, those decommissioned garments are then shredded, and then it's presented to Blocktex, to our facility in southeast Queensland. So at this point in time, we've got tons of uh, material coming into our factory every day. Um, so we, what the Blocktex process actually is, is that we worked out how we could chemically unlock um, these blended fibers. Because usually if you go through a mechanical route, so people say, oh, I can recycle your 
garments mechanically. All mm. they do is chop them up, chop them up, chop them up in small pieces, which then can be used for stuffing, or you yeah. can chop them even finer and spin them into yarns, but they're still blended. So you don't know what it is. So when you're selling into a consumer market and people want to know that it's a polyester yarn that I'm mixing with a, this yarn because well, I want my garment. Well, you can't say that because you don't know all you, yes, you've saved it from landfill, but you haven't produced another raw material. You've technically downcycled it. Yeah, it's all good, but we wanted to go further than that. So we've worked out a process, a chemical process, working with several universities in Australia, and we now own the patents for this, and we own the IP ourselves, how to chemically unlock this. So we unlock the cotton from the polyester in a large vessel, <laughs> known affectionately as the beast. And it, within that, um, a chemical process occurs by which we add certain chemicals, we add pressure, we add heat, uh, uh, and for a period of time, we understand all of those variables. And the cotton and the polyester just physically, physically unlock. But the cotton gets reduced in, 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 in its chain length size. So it kind of goes from being long cotton strands, being into small cellulosic molecules. So that helps it unlock itself from the polyester, which remains inert and unaffected and generally not bothered by the process. And then we go through a series of um, washing and, and drying to really separate, make sure that separation is complete. And then we produce two work streams, a polyester work stream and a cellulosic work stream. The polyester work stream is now, it's pure polyester. It's now the same chemical as if you chopped up a drink bottle. And so we remelt that in a large extruder. We remelt that and we add certain chemicals back into that to rebuild essentially what's called the intrinsic viscosity or the or the weight of the product so we actually we, we try we improve the quality because the hundred times you've washed your t-shirt or the exposure for sunlight all that degrades the quality of the polyester so we rebuild the chain length of that and we extrude it and we repelletize it and we produce polyester chips polyester pure polyester chips that could be remelted and put back into fiber if there was a spinning industry here we, we could do that mm. but there's not so at the moment, we're using our products locally for, for in, uh, primarily for injection molding. And we produce things like um, glasses. Um, and so what that means is that in the downstream from Blocktex, where that company would have historically bought virgin material, they're now buying recycled material from fiber. As we expand the business and we go overseas with the business, that will be sold into spinning mills to produce fiber back into textiles. What happens to the cotton, the cellulosic work stream, it goes into what's called a decanter and we take out all of the water and we produce this material that looks a bit like Play-Doh. It's both a very thick plasticine, a cellulosic plasticine. And we sell that to a company in Queensland and they, re and they combine that with other, with other chemicals. Then it's used essentially as what's called a hydro mulch. It's used for land reclamation. So if you were to go out to Greater Western Sydney Airport, the new airport at Badgeries Creek, or the large, ex the large excavations being done around Snowy Hydro, all that land, or, or mine sites even, all that land needs to be reclaimed at the end of its life. It needs to be sort of encouraged that grass can grow on it again. So our cellulose, which would have ended up in landfill, locked into a high-vis vest, locked into a, in, into a work shirt, just rotting in the ground, that is actually used as a fertiliser to, to regenerate soil. And so we essentially take textiles that people perceive to be a waste, we call them a resource, and we convert them 
into other raw materials for other advanced manufacturing industries. Um, but there's no point doing that unless you've got scale. So we, do, we process about one ton, a thousand kilos of garments per hour. So what does that look like? That's like 4,000 shirts an hour. So um, it's, it has to be big. And our plant will produce around, our plant has the capacity at the moment to do about 4,000 tons this year. And then we're scaling it next year uh, to do around, around well, ne- nearly 10,000 tons. To be honest, a couple of things. Firstly, I'm just mind blown. Uh, and and secondly, I actually forgot I was on a podcast for a minute. I was just so fascinated with that story. That, that is just so awesome. Well, we're the first company in the world to actually do it as well. So we're an Australian first, but unfortunately, I think a, bit, a little bit like the solar cell, it will be um, it'll probably be commercialised overseas because we still have a problem. I mean, even even you know the sort of um, uh, you know august bodies in this country which represent recyclers refuse to sort of recognise that there is a scale solution and there is a scale solution now exists can i deal with every every sherry of textile resource that needs to be converted no of course i can't yeah. i'm going to scale the plant but the, the more the more the more encouragement there is to do this the more volume there is coming towards us yeah. the more capital flows into the market so absolutely it, it is it is brilliant there's four companies in the world doing it we're the first into market we're very proud of it um, and it works, and it yeah. works at scale. And that's really, really, really important. Charles, just jumping in here again with a quick aside. No matter where you are in your journey to grow your brand for a healthier planet, there's one area of impact that all e-commerce brands share, and that's shipment packaging. It's imperative that the customer's order arrives in perfect condition. You already know if your stuff arrives damaged that's a bad user experience it ends up in profit sucking refunds or replacements and the damaged items will likely end up in landfill but how much thought have you given to the fact that your shipment packaging is actually usually a highly overlooked part of the overall customer experience in many cases it will be the very first physical interaction someone has with your brand with sustainability the war on waste and the single-use plastic problem being front of mind for almost all consumers now, the last thing you want is for that first impression of your brand to be dominated by frustration with how your products are packaged. That's why I'm so excited to be partnering with our friends at Heaps Good Packaging on the show. They provide a range of very cost-effective, eco-friendly, compostable shipment packaging from simple mailers through fillers, tapes, labels, and post-pack boxes. And with that all-important first impression in mind, they can also help you with custom printed packaging as well to really elevate your brand experience. Head over to heapsgoodpackaging.com.au and use code PACKLIKEABOSS to get 10% off site-wide. Okay, back to today's discussion. So so exciting, and I've got so many questions from what you just said. I've got to try and deconstruct it somehow into something that makes sense. Um, so, okay, so just, just summarizing, I think. So first of all, I mean, the first mind-blowing thing is that you can deal with blends. I mean, that's just rocked me on my heels because as far as I understood, you know, from my limited understanding of textile recycling, it was, you know, pure one thing or the other. You couldn't do blends. Mm. And so you just Mm. described something that's been the bane of the textile world for Mm. generations uh, right there. So, I mean, that's just feel like I need a fanfare and trumpets type of sound effect on this. But anyway, awesome, awesome stuff, awesome stuff. So you can do either either polyester or cotton you, and you mentioned a whole raft of other things what about things like wool or bamboo well then you get into two things bamboo is a cellulosic fiber because it's a plant so yes we can yeah 
wool, we, we technically, we know how to do wool. We started our research in wool, actually. But if you look at wool as a, as a fiber, as a percentage of the fibers that we use in the textile industry, wool's around 5%. Polyester's 55%. Cotton's 25%. So that's why we went after commercially polyester and cotton or blends thereof, because yeah. there's a much bigger pool of stuff to get at. We have a, we have a, a sort of an emotive relationship with wool in Australia because we were built on the back of the sheep and all that. But it's a very small part of the overall textile usage. Yeah. Yeah. The, the much bigger people in the room to pick fights with are polyester and cotton. And I suppose unless it's blended with something else, which I guess is is relatively uncommon, wool is a kind of more or less fully bi- biodegradable uh, fabric anyway. So, Well, exactly. We've been looking at some very interesting, um, very interesting work. I'm very excited to be uh, engaged with. And I think this is, I, I, I worry when people are saying at the moment, we're going to shred cotton and we're going to shred textiles and throw them on the soil as um, as compost. Well, that's good if it's gin waste from the back of a cotton mill because it's pure mm. cotton. If it's things that might have dye stuffs in there or or or, or heavy metal, you you don't know yeah. that. So I'm really excited that we're found, we're, we're working some do some some early stage research at the moment, trying to kick this off around how we're going to use vermiculture, how we're going to use worms to degrade wool into a uh, wonderful compost. And I'm excited by that because it means that when we go to a, um, a large uniform supplier, a large, you know, sort of, so inevitably they're, they're going to have parts of their uniform, maybe blazers, maybe whatever, and they're, and they're going to be yeah. warm. So instead of leaving those children behind saying, sorry, I can't help you with those, we can then take them. They won't be burnt. They won't be buried. They won't be exported. But maybe we can convert them into 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 a wonderful yeah. compost. Uh, again, once again, regenerative, and you mentioned you know that what you were doing essentially with the with the deconstructed cellulose material from the cotton fibers was turning that into a regenerative source for soils and so on so no chance yet to be able to spin that back into essentially some kind of organic fiber from the from that we know how to yeah. do that and we've done it but the, the challenge is with it is that um because we've just to to separate the cotton from the polyester because they're woven or knitted together you have to break it down into a certain chain length then wet spinning that back into a fiber like a renew cell or a avenue it's 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 desperately expensive you can do it in the lab and we've done it in the lab we've made cotton fibers in 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 the lab but then you try to scale that commercially and it becomes uneconomic and then people have a because this is the the what we've always tried to set out to do in block text there's no point recycling unless you can make a product that somebody can afford to buy and so if you if you recycle that cellulose because because this is a problem with the fashion industry it has to go back into fashion otherwise they, they don't believe that they've achieved nirvana we didn't set out to do that we set out to divert textiles from landfill which we've done and we set out to make sure there was virgin material abatement in the demand which we've done but we didn't set out to produce more fibers now, in if in the future with the polyester we start to build that scale and we can do that with mills in uh korea and japan which we're doing some r d with then that would be interesting um but not with the cotton i think the cotton's always going to be too expensive look it, it sounds like that and of course of course this you know the fundamental of the economics of all of this is is what makes or breaks that full circularity process, right? And it sounds like you're not that far away from having it from the RPET point of view, uh, but not necessarily with with cotton and the other organics. Textiles are a major source of 
pollution. Mm. They, they are. Um, fast fashion has caused a significant increase in the amount of garments and textiles being wasted. Now, as we discussed earlier, it's very hard to change that model because the, 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 the retail model is, is about selling more stuff, not about recycling more stuff. That's our industry. Mm. But if in that industry we can recycle that stuff and use it to divert products being used, virgin products being used elsewhere, that is circularity. It's just a couple of circles. It's not the same circle. And people have to get their head around that because as I've discovered on the last five years of this journey, that everybody's thinking is binary. It's just really black or white. It's either virgin or it's recycled. It's either good or it's bad. It's either black or it's white. And actually, there's a whole shades of gray in there about how we continue on this journey. But if we demand that from day one, this has got to go over to here, I think we're actually precluding some great R&D and some great outcomes along, along the mm, way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in the process you've described, you know, you said that color doesn't matter because you're not trying to um, overlap this into one circle and produce that set, you know, a new, a new yarn out of what you produce. So therefore color doesn't matter, I guess. If you think at the moment, everyone says, well, we're using virgin, we're using recycled polyester in our supply chains Mm. now, clever us. No, you're not. You're using bottles. Mm. Bottles were clear when they started. So, so you never had to worry about color. It's no, it's no issue. It's, it's no surprise that green, sorry to mention the brand, but green lilt bottles are not recycled mm. into, into, because they're green. And to take that color out, technically very possible, expensive. So the, 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 uh, historically, bottles have been collected, washed, chopped up, melted, and respun into yarn. And people saying we're using recycled uh, recycled polyester. Well, you are, but it's from bottles. And the problem with that argument is now the bottle companies are saying our stakeholders, our shareholders want us to do more recycling. And because bottle to bottle recycling is more advanced and technically easier than fiber to fiber, they're keeping their bottles mm. and they recycle them into more bottles. And therefore, the amount of recycled polyester from bottles flowing into the textile market is actually going backwards. Yeah. Interesting. And therefore, all these brands that have made this claims that by 2030, all our polyester will be 100% recycled. Where from is my question. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's a very interesting observation that I did not know, uh, was that essentially the raw, the, the raw material of bottles that had been available to the textile industry, because you see the you see brands everywhere now talking about the fact that they're, they're using reclaimed bottles. We've turned we've turned 10 bottles into a into a swimsuit or something. You know, in fact, we had a great call with a brand called C of V on the show a couple of weeks ago doing something very similar. Uh, you know, that that's that's essentially going to get harder for them to do because the fundamentally the raw material is starting to get reconsumed into its own industry. And I'm not critical of the fact that they've done it. I applaud the fact that yeah, they've totally. done it. But what I'm saying is what I'm but what I'm saying is that the sources of that supply, the three biggest uh, plastic uh, packaging producers in the world are PepsiCo, Coca-Cola, and Danone from France. They are investing millions of dollars, even on shore in Australia, to recycle bottle to bottle. Because poly- the joy of polyester, which you've got this bottle, it's virtually indestructible. Mm. You can recycle it as many times as you long, as long, as long as you don't burn it, make it in, into toast. So it's, 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 it's an infinite loop. And so why would they not appease their shareholders' needs by recycling more bottles, which is great. But that means that fibre to fibre, the business Blocktex is in, that's going to have to grow in importance because otherwise we're, 
guess what? <laughs> We're the only source of recycled fiber PET. Yeah, that's a sobering thought. And it, and it just goes to show what an exciting business you're building in terms of economic and growth potential. So how do brands work with you? What do you need from brands in order for, to make mm-hmm. this process viable uh, and possible to actually go through? Really good question. Um, we work with, primarily, we've been working in the uh, B2B sector, um, in the sort of hospitality, hotels, uniforms, corporate wear sector, um, for two reasons. A, there's a large volume there that never has a happy ending mm. because you can't take your branded merchandise from your brand into an op shop. They can't, they won't take it. There may be security aspects, there may be branding. So these uniforms just build up. And historically, they were landfilled or burnt. But now those brands are saying, you know, gosh, do we want to see our our brand turning up in a landfill or being part of an ABC expose? No, we don't. So mm. there's a large uh, demand for better and better end of life um, solutions there. So and the advantage of those companies in the corporate uniform and workwear space is very large volumes of very homogenous stock. Because if we turn up and say we're going to do all the polo shirts for company A, all those polo shirts will be the same. same yeah. Yeah. So that makes it um, easier for us to, us to engage with them. And therefore, our because um, our, our model is based, our, our economic model is based on a gate fee. And we work on the fact that if you engage with Blocktex, you will pay us a fee to um, environmentally convert your resource from one form that you don't want it into another form that people do. People say, well, why would you do that? Well, if you put it into the into the ground, you pay a landfill cost anyway. Mm. You know, th- th- there is nothing free. And I think this is an interesting, maybe discussion for another time, this is an interesting conversation around product stewardship schemes because the <laughs> title has passed from the retailer to the consumer. But, the consu- but who is responsible, therefore, for the economic cost of that disposal? In the B2C sector, we do engage in brands, and we really do. And we've got some really good clients in that B2C sector and we've worked on we've worked on two two streams with them. Primarily, we've worked on a stream of some streams are where they have um, manufacturing, and we've worked on them with uh, their post post uh, manufacturing waste, mm-hmm. which can be offcuts both from onshore and offshore. And people say, well, offshore, how does that work? Well, most people are sending containers full of finished goods down here anyway, so they're also bailing up their their um, offcuts and then. We take those because that's uh, it saves them being burned near the factory where they may have made them uh, overseas. Mm. Um, and the other area that working up, some brands are doing in-store collection. Yeah. So we're working with brands that, you know, for example, brands that may have a bias towards um, linen and Manchester, um, because that's kind of homogenous. And linen and Manchester is usually cotton or poly cotton. Mm. Yeah, yes, you've got to take the buttons off the doona covers and you can maybe have to take, but, you know, occasionally you might get the odd exotic silk sheet in there, but um, it's mainly poly cotton. So when you say we're going to do a, a take-back scheme and people say, and, and, and if you bring in your old linen, you get sort of a $5, $10 bounce back voucher back, it's great. Retailer wins, gets increased footfall, we get the product, everyone's happy. And I think the next stage, the next evolution of this is how we start to work with retailers around how do they help us sort because and, and you know the risk of causing offense most retailers love a take back scheme because it means they can say to everyone we're taking back we're saving the planet and then they want to give a big pile of stuff unsorted no idea what's in the box they want to give it to people like block text or other uh, players we play with in in the market and 
expect us to deal with everything. So I think there's got to be a meeting halfway about what do we do with the sorting? You wanted to do the collection because you got the footfall into your store. That's great. How do we then deal with the sorting? And that's, I think, an area that we need to continue to work on yeah. because we have the technology to, to do the sorting, but there's a cost. And therefore, we've got to understand how we how we come to a sort of a, a, a an agreement around that cost of sortation. Is it just you know sorting the stuff out that you can't process from the stuff that you can, or is it also about sorting into different uh, material streams so that your cotton is separate from the polyester, is separate from the blend? No, it's just about it, it's we, we. And again, I think you, you, if you if you wish to engage people in recycling and, and repurposing, you have to keep it simple. Yeah. We. Uh, if we recycle uh, a blend of, of different types of polyester cotton together, the same process is going to occur. So we're not, as long as we know there's no wool in there, that's okay. But it could all be, you know, it could be, it could be a thousand different things as long as we knew it was all of the same fiber type. And this is an important distinction between the traditional sorting model, which is for export and our model. Um, the traditional sorting model has been like sort of what is it? Is it a jumper? Is it a trouser? Is it warm weather? Is it cold weather? Because that dictates the market it's sold into. Mm. Our sorts base, so I don't care what it is. What's it, our question is what is it made of? And so there's a different there's a different process to our sort compared to others. Now there's some fantastic technology around the world that exists. I mean, in conversation with those partners to see if we can bring that um, high velocity, accurate infrared scanning sortation into country and those conversations will continue um but i think that's that's those are the sort of you know, we're, we're happy to talk to anybody and we want to engage with as many people as we can yeah. but it isn't just a case of saying we're working with block techs and we're doing an in-store collection isn't that easy because that's only half that's that's only half 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 a job yeah, done. yeah. then we've got to work out how we process yeah. it and they need and they need to and they need to work with us on on that stage also yeah and so you've mentioned sort of scale a number of times. What sort of scale of brand can you work with? Or, you know, is it anyone's fair game? Oh, anyone's fair game. No, no one gets turned away. The, the, the challenge, as I say, we process about 1,000 kilos an hour, right? between mm. 800 and 1,000 kilos an hour. So what does that look like? If you've ever had um, gravel delivered to your house for a drive or sand or whatever, and they come in those large plastic bulky bags, off the back of a crane truck. We do four of those full every hour. So th there is a scale to what we do, but those may be aggregated across several retailers or several brands. Yeah. So we would never turn a brand away, but our collection model dictates that we would drop off a collection cage at a site. And when that was that collection cage can take around 200 and let's say 250 kilos might be a little bit less then we'll come and collect it but if that collection of 250 kilos is going to take three months or six months that's fine but don't expect me to come up along every week because you don't want the yeah. cage on on the floor because the cost of transport kind of ruins the economics of the argument so we can work with anybody um as long as there's a clear view that it's going to take us three months or four months to pick up to to fill a cage as when yeah. we've got to that point, then we can carry on. But so yeah. we, we don't turn anybody away, but there just has to be a pragmatic conversation around what scale have you got and when will you build into that?
Yeah. So is the only model at the moment that you have a cage that you deliver and then you come and pick it up or can they send a box of stuff to you when they're done? They'll come and pick it up. Um, we, 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 we have tried the former model and there be dragons because people say they'll do one thing and they do something else. And yeah. so what arrives is not what you thought. And so we've, yeah. learned, we've learned painfully from that experience. And so, um, no, we won't do that because uh, until we see a better, until we see a better compliance in that, supply chain because you do just get absolute horror in the box so you've talked already about some some of the amazing stuff you've already done and you've even you've even given us some subtle hints about stuff that's coming up what's what's really exciting for you that's coming up for block techs over the next sort of year year and a half okay um a lot but we've been through two 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 capital raises so far and that's taken us to this point now so we've always been funded by private markets um we're going to do a, a third raise uh middle of this year and that third raise will allow us to then expand this plant to its full capacity, and about 10,000 tonnes, and also start the, uh, the work for the second plant in Australia, and also start the, uh, the work for overseas expansion. So during so the first couple of years of our, of our life, it was all about R&D. Then it was about the technical and economic design of the model. Then in 22, we, we built the facility. Now in 23, we've, we're running the the facility and I want to see the second half of 23 being that sort of ignition moment for us when we actually really start to scale outside of being a single plant and and importantly think about the international operations as well fantastic and so how do brands start to work with you how do how do people start to work with blockdex and where do they go if they want to uh, start that process uh, our website is a great place to start um yeah. uh, uh, www.blocktex.com um and there's a, uh, an email on there, um, uh, curious at Blocktex. Um, reach out to us there. We will always respond to every every email. No one gets ignored. Um, and we, we, we always ask sort of three basic questions. And these questions can be help, maybe help brands think about how they engage with Blocktex. The first question is, you know, what is it? And that's our really most important. Thing. What is the fiber made of? And do you know that? So if, if a brand is saying, actually, I've got 90% of my range is polyester, then we've got a starting point for a conversation. Brown presence, I've got 99% of my range is wool, then we probably haven't. So the first question is, what is it? Second question is, how much is there? Because again, as we discussed, you know, we like to deal in volume. We won't turn anybody away. There's also, I've got 15, I've got 15 t-shirts. It's probably not our model. There may be other, other better models for that. So, you know, what is it? How much is it? And then lastly, where is it? Because again, if it's in a single location, pickup can be really, really simple. If it's got to be collected from multiple locations, that can be done, but we have to have an honest conversation around the cost of doing so. We've just finished or finishing some work with a very large federal government agency, and we've collected from over 300 sites, over 300 sites across the entire country. So we know we can do it, um, but that's a different model compared to retail. And also what retail is really good at is logistics. So they're used to having trucks moving. So there may be a way that they can actually consolidate within their own supply chain to a single point. So look at the website, curiousblocktext.com. What is it? How much is there? Where is it? And then a conversation from there will naturally flow. Well, thanks. Thanks for sharing that, uh, Adrian. And and this has been genuinely one of the most fascinating conversations I've had in the nearly 50 episodes we've done on the show. So thank you so much for for educating me on a few things, but also sharing the incredible story that you're on incredible journey you're on i should say with with block tech it really is very very cool and and i i thoroughly i'm thoroughly excited to see where you go over the next few years 
Uh, thank you very much. We think it's worth doing. We think both Graham and I, we've been at this, at this for five years and there's times it's been dreadfully frustrating um, as invention always is, but we actually believe it's really worth it. You know, we actually genuinely believe this is worth doing. It's, a, it's, it's kind of noble. And therefore, it's solving a massive problem in sort of, and maybe in 50 years time, people, as we sort of, you know, now we don't, you know, we Uber things, we Google things. Maybe I, I would say you can judge the, the success of an organization when it becomes a, stops being a noun and becomes a verb. So maybe in 20 years time, people will be block texting their clothes. And maybe that's when we know we become truly embedded in, in, in the lexicon of life. When you've really made it. That's awesome. I love that. Adrian, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Take care back to Giles again for my top takeouts and firstly obviously these guys are the first ones in the world to successfully tackle the recycling of blends at scale that is an absolute game changer for the industry and potentially for the planet too while the pet stream is a source of viable recycled material that can go straight back into the textile supply chain or indeed anything else that pet can be used for the cellulose extreme is still a way off from being viable to be reintroduced into textiles instead they've created a regenerative paste that can be used in soil enrichment projects which is by anyone's standards a lot better than the alternative of having them rot away in landfill and producing greenhouse gases Secondly, it's great that they don't want to turn anyone away, but realistically, your brand does need to have a certain scale to the take-back program, or you need to have a reasonably large waste management issue for the block text model to work for you at this stage. For smaller brands who may expect a, a few tens of garments every year out of their take-back programs, our guests on last week's show, Apparel, are still probably the better solution for you. That being said, what Blocktechs are doing is super exciting. And if you have got sufficient scale and the right type of textiles, I do highly recommend that you get in touch with them. For now, I want to say thanks again to Adrian for sharing so much about what they're doing at Blocktechs. And thanks again to Heaps Good Packaging, who have been our sponsors now over the past three months on the show. I'll be back again next week with more stories from the world of sustainable e-commerce. So until then, keep building your brand for a healthier planet. <laughs>